Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Abrams. Today we got a mega episode. It's exciting. We're going to be talking about the biggest news in football. We'll talk Julio Jones trade that happened Sunday, Aaron Rodgers not coming to minicamps Tuesday morning, and the Jordan Love freakout. The 49ers injury hell all over again this season. The Washington football team, a dark horse team this year. And we'll also talk about the new college football playoff system that may be proposed and may be changed in the coming days. So we'll go ahead and tackle all of those, no pun intended, today on the Jukum Podcast. As we look ahead at the coming season... It will be very, very interesting to see who has who as Dark Horse teams. So I'm going to be starting to look and figure out who are my Dark Horse teams. Let me tell you, my first Dark Horse team is going to be a little bit shocking, but it shouldn't be as shocking as some may think. It's the Washington football team. That's my Dark Horse to win the NFC East. It's not really as dark as maybe the Eagles or the Giants, But a lot of riding high on the Cowboys. That heavy offensive system, coming back healthy, Zeke bounce back year. You got Gallup, you got Cooper, got a nice offensive line who hopefully will be healthy. A defensive building, especially with their first rounder, Micah Parsons. But overall, to me, the Washington football team's a standout in the the east of the NFC. Right, The Washington football team betting odds, they're plus 260, the Cowboys are plus 125, the Giants plus 350, and then the Eagles are plus 500. But look at their team and really break it down and think about how special this team could be and how Ron Rivera could really utilize this team to be able to put themselves in winning positions and also Altogether, even the toughest teams are going to have problems with Washington. Let's just start off with the offense. So offensively, at quarterback, you have Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's probably your clear starter right now. Taylor Heineke may make a run for it, may make for competition, but Heineke's kind of young. It seems like Fitzpatrick's going to be a teacher. Heineke's going to be the guy that's going to sit back. Rivera is not going to change his mind like he did last seasons with quarterbacks. He, he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want a new quarterback every week. He doesn't want to go from Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, then Heineke, and all over the place. He wants one guy, so it's most likely going to be Fitzpatrick this season, unless injury. Look, and Fitzpatrick's a potential playmaker. He puts it all out when he goes out and plays the game. I'll say that. I like Fitzpatrick. He's not the best quarterback in the NFL, He isn't the greatest of all time. He's not even in my top 25 quarterbacks. But what he does to teams is he uses his leadership and his mentorship. He uses his experience from being in so many different systems. And he really teaches the young guys. And that's that's really important for Heineke. They just extended. And I'm going to keep saying it. I'll probably say it a couple times during the segment. But you'll hear this from me from up until the season starts and we really get to see what's up. Heineke gave the Tampa Bay Buccaneers more of a run than Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense did. He was out there making every single move, putting on a show, doing everything he could. Because, look, the bottom line is quarterbacks whose job 
is always on the line, not just up until week one. You know, quarterbacks who have to compete for their job every week, they compete harder, they practice harder, they pay attention to detail. And overall, that's the team that's presented, that's that quarterback room presented for Washington. Both these guys have to really compete every day and get better. Neither one of them is in a position to say, I'm the automatic starter. Fitzpatrick would be my guess. Heineke's going to sit back and learn. Both these guys, their jobs are on the line. You can you can see them putting it all out there on Sundays or whenever they play that week. You have Antonio Gibson going into his second year, right? He had 170 attempts for 795 yards. That's pretty good for a third-round running back with very little expectation. He was tied for seventh in total touchdowns. He had zero lost fumbles, and he had zero fumble or zero lost balls. So he had no fumbles, and he didn't even drop it and have the, their own team recover. He had no turnover in that aspect of the game. And he also helped to get 40 first downs, which is a pretty nice stat for a team that was not expected to be this big rushing team. Not that they were, but there, there were definitely no expectations when it came to the run game. They also have Lamar Miller, who they re-signed, and J.D. McKissick, both valuable backups to get some reps, give some, get some work off of Antonio Gibson's feet. You know, let him take a play or two off. Those are valuable depth at running back guys. That that's important there. They've worked on their offensive line improvements with Charles Leno Jr. and Bao Ben Shawl. Those are two offensive linemen who can come in and kind of make a difference, kind of elevate the offensive line. But most importantly to me is you have Terry McLaurin, who is a playmaker. He's got some wheels. He's a young guy. And then they go out and get his college teammate, Curtis Samuel, both Ohio State guys. And they also go out and get Adam Humphreys, who is a decent wide receiver three. I would take Adam Humphreys. A lot of NFL teams would take Adam Humphreys as a wide receiver three on their team because it's not the worst option, not the best, but... You know, that's a good wide receiver room. That is a good wide receiver room. But just alone there, right, that's not the best offense in the NFL. You're If you're thinking, is he trying to say this is like a top 10 offense, I would say they're right in the middle. And that's important for what I'm about to break down, the defense. The defense is a mean defense. Defensive line They are good at the run. They are really heavy on pass rush. They combined for 26 sacks last season, right? They drafted Jamin Davis as a linebacker to help their linebacker core. Uh, That was their first-round pick this past year out of Kentucky. Holcomb and Bostic, two other linebackers, combined for 115 solo tackles last season. And their secondary is really good. They got Kendall Fuller, William Jackson III, Landon Collins, and Cameron Curl. Cameron Curl is obviously their weak link, but I would take that four secondary, those four guys over a lot, almost all of the secondaries in the NFL, right? And they also have Derek Forrest, who I think is kind of a steal. He's a very good freak athlete. And if he continues to put in the work on the field, he could be a depth factor for them this season. They could get another additional depth guy at safety. Overall, their defense is a top 10 defense easily. Their defense could be a top 5 defense easily. I think their defense presents opportunity 
because when you have as great of a defense, you have Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio, those guys who know defense, they know what's up, they're legitimate coaching staff. It, overall, their defense could bring them wonders, right? Their defense can go toe-to-toe with a lot of offenses, every offense in the NFL, all 32 offenses, and give them hell. And that's important because the offense then just needs to capitalize, give them 17 to 21 points in a game, right? That's not even a touchdown a quarter, right? Give them 17, 21 points a game. I don't even think, you know, that's that's average in the NFL. I would say 18 to 19 points a game is probably sitting around average in the NFL for points scored. You, you go up there and you score 18 to 19 points, which this offense is capable of doing. This worked on offense steps up. Man, the Washington football team could be a serious contender, right? When they play the Cowboys, could be two big games for them in terms of the division, right? I think they can beat the Giants. I think they can beat the Eagles. When they play the Cowboys, watch for a good offensive versus defensive matchup. It's really going to be McCarthy versus Ron Rivera as an offensive coach versus a defensive guy. See who can battle out. See who gets better, you know. These guys are going to be competing because those are going to be two important games when it comes down to who wins the division, and that's, you know, a clinch in the playoffs. That's a clinch of a top four seed. I'm going to say it again because I didn't say it as much as I thought, but this defense really put it to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers' offense, the team that won the Super Bowl last season, the team with the greatest quarterback of all time. Their offense really competed hard. They stepped up. They made plays. The NFC East is in a very similar position where they're not a top division in the NFC or even comparable to the AFC. They're kind of lower tier. It's open grabs. It's who's going to step up and get it. And when you got a good defense, your team is is put in a good position. right? The Cowboys, everyone's looking at their offense. But if you can stop their offense and limit them, and you can really get to their offense, then defensively is where you're going to get the advantage, right? Good defenses often play good against good offenses. Good offenses don't always play good against good defenses. I take defense over offense. That's how. I, that's the guy I am, right? I don't think the Cowboys' offense presents this insanely great offensive system that can really do damage this Washington football team. These are some young, hungry defensive guys who are all looking to make a name, each individual, but really mesh together perfectly. You got a lot of first-round defensive guys. You got Chase Young looking to come back and really stay healthy this year and prove he is an automatic top defensive end in the NFL comparable to J.J. Watt, Miles Garrett, you know, Montez Sweat, Jamin Davis, all these guys together. I really like it. I would say, you know, I'm not going to promote the betting because I don't want to be the reason you lose money. But if you're looking to see who you want as a dark horse team, the Washington football team winning the NFC East is definitely a considerable dark horse win right there. 
Let's talk the college football playoff expansion. These, this news is kind of going under the radar for some. Some aren't able to see it, but let me tell you, I'll, I'll break it down for you and I'll give you my opinion and my analysis. Here's what I have to say. I love it. That's what I'll start off. I love it. I love the idea of the expansion, but let's talk about the news. So there is a group of four guys who are ta- who are tasked with having to figure out the ins and the outs and really research of whether expansion is going to be successful, is it worth it, blah, blah, blah. They're doing a lot of research, studying, doing all of what they need to do to present to the full college football playoff committee their analysis and their findings. And the report this morning was that it is very likely right now there will be a 12-team playoff expansion. Right, and that's gonna break down into two different subsections where it could be top twelve and your top four get the bye, or it could be you get your five power five conference champs, you have a group of five team automatically, and then you have six wild cards. And to me, either is better because expansion is needed. First things first is we've seen how much the sport has grown since the introduction of the college football playoff with just four teams. In order for the sport to continue to grow, there needs to be a bigger playoff. We need more than just the two games and then the national championship. You're going to need a 12-team. And I think from there we will have a more successful playoff system. The sport is going to grow to a whole new level. There's going to be a new financial element added into it. There's going to be a new viewership element added into it with the name image likeness. That's going to be a new element added into it. And as a whole, it's going to help the sport grow. And that's that's ultimately what it has to come down to is, is this going to help the sport grow? And I say yes, it will. Because at the end of the day, the NCAA is a nonprofit. These programs, these schools are all nonprofit. All they're doing is pushing their efforts to exposing the talent of the student athlete and really doing what they can to help the student athlete. Do they profit? Yes, they do. And then they profit. But at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. My. It's not the biggest, but it's in the top three is will the NCAA and will these programs financially gain from having a 12-team playoff compared to a four? Financial subject, the financial subject needs to be talked about, and it will be because a lot of these college football playoff committee guys are these big-time guys who have money who are all about the business the business aspect of it all let's let's realistic they're focusing on business if you didn't know you know they have business mindset more than they have a how does this help the student athlete that's why you always see the big name over the little name the power five over the group of five but financially we're coming off of a year and a half really a year and a half of a pandemic that caused finance financial crisis in a lot of departments and programs as a whole there was a lot of tough decisions programs had to make schools had to make the NCAA had to make as a whole financially 
an expansion, is it going to help recover? Are they, is doing this going to help recover? Because financially, they need to look at it and they need to realistically say, is a program getting into the playoff, are they going to financially benefit compared to the 14? Because if not, then to me, they should not go with the 12-team playoff. Right? That's a negative to me, and that's a big negative. Because if a program is not going to financially benefit compared to if the four team, even if you don't make it, they need to look at how does a team like Cincinnati going to the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, how does a team like Coastal Carolina in a big bowl game, how are they financially benefiting? Are they benefiting more if they're not in and they're in a bigger bowl game? Or are they benefiting if they're in the playoff? Because they could lose in the first round. Right? There's no guarantee that they're going to do anything. They, they could just end up losing and say bye-bye. Is the program going to benefit more from them just not being included at all? That's something to look at. If that's a no, then I'm looking at it a little bit differently. I'm looking at a different expansion. Maybe less teams, like eight. Maybe they need to set clear criteria for the four team that is comparable amongst every program in the nation not just the big power five conference teams right at the end of the day i think that's really something significant to look at and something that could be blocking this going through but to me it it seems like financially these teams could really benefit these teams really want it a group of five team needs to be included, right? I, I think there should be a more serious criteria set because we, as we know, you know, wins and losses don't really matter. A team with one loss could go in over an undefeated team. Uh, strength of schedule is really hard to determine because it changes constantly as teams move up and down. And at one point, a team could be a really strong team and injuries or this and that could cause them to fall. And then you also have from eye to eye, everyone views differently how the teams should be ranked. There's a whole lot of criteria that we don't actually know. Teams don't actually know. It's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. And it hurts. And overall, to me, I love a 12-team playoff. That means additional college football. That means more com- competition. That means more likelihood that a team is going to upset. Hey, look at the first ever college football playoff. A team that was almost not included, barely scraped in for that four seed, ended up winning the whole thing. Ended up beating Alabama and beating Oregon. So, overall... I think expansion is best for the sport. It's best for these programs. It overall, to me, seems like everything is going to work out in the end for the expansion of a playoff. And, you know, it's also going to be exciting to see a non-Power 5 team really slip in there because at the end of the day, the reason for a, college, or a group of five team becoming a Power 5 could be because they got into the playoff they made a statement they were consistently in the running this and that you know you could see some interesting teams really change conferences change how they're looked at Um, I'll just go ahead and you know Cincinnati the University of Cincinnati with Luke Fickle building up this football program if they're a consistent 
top 10 team, right? These past three years, they've been ranked. Last year, they were eight. If they come back this year and they have a lot of returning starters, they play the same, they do the same. You know, they have Indiana and Notre Dame, so if they have one loss, zero loss, they go undefeated or one loss, you know, their basketball program, which is historically a top 10 basketball program, is also in the midst of a big rebuild and a big getting back to the top. Their baseball program, you know, a team like that could easily, easily get into a bigger conference like the Big 12, the ACC I doubt Big Ten geographically. That's the problem. Ohio State would probably not want another Ohio team in the Big Ten. But, you know, you you never know, and that's what I'm trying to say here is a team could scoop in and really help them financially and really change their program forever with an expansion and more recognition. So, overall, I like it. I'm a fan of this. I'm all for it. The San Francisco 49ers already have major injury problems. They got offensive lineman Justin Scully tore his ACL Monday. Running back Jeff Wilson tore his meniscus. And secondary safety Tavarius Moore tore his Achilles on Monday. Two injuries, an ACL and an Achilles on the same day. It's not looking good. They're going back to the injury hell they were in last week. It's not looking good for the 49ers as a whole because it gets scary. Hey, this is June and we got guys tearing their knees up and their Achilles up and ligament injuries are no joke. It could be very interesting to see how the 49ers respond, how they move on, what their status is going to be. My biggest thing to look for right here is investigations to see how is is something with practice? Are they doing something? Are the facilities? Some, you know, they had the same thing last year. It might be something with the turf. It could be something they do at practice. It could be interesting to see if these players are stretching enough. If their equipment is not fitted correctly, that could lead to it. All these different things that you really want to pay attention to because at the end of the day, it can't be just another year of injury hell by coincidence. Last year and this year should not be the same. Let's see really what they look into. To me, it seems like it could be something with equipment it could be something with turf. It could be something with their practice regime. How do they run practices? Is Shanahan working them too hard in different drills that should not be run? And I know that's soft, and I love a good physical, you know, tough working. These guys sweating, working hard, really doing a lot of work to get better. Just like the old days, I'm all for that type of football. The hard-hitting guys mixed with the flying fast guys. You know, I, I love the mesh of that, but is it something they're doing in practice that just isn't working? Because to me, the 49ers are already having three major injuries, two and a half major injuries. Meniscus is reasonable to come back. I, I don't know about this, Chief. I, I think there needs to be serious consideration into what are they doing that they should be doing better. 
All right, it's time for a new segment on the show, the two-minute drill. It's ironic. We'll talk about it in a second. I'm going to be talking about a topic for exactly two minutes, seeing if I can touch down all my points in that time. So today's topic is going to be the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love. And we shall begin in three, a two, and a one. So Aaron Rodgers did not show up to the mandatory minicamp today. This is a possible $100,000 fine. And it seems to me like the Packers organization does not have a hold on the situation between them and Aaron Rodgers. They have no idea where they stand. They have no idea what Aaron wants. It seems like it is a big mess bigger than it has been in the past. And look, it's perfect for Aaron Rodgers because he has control all... He controls all the power in the scenario. I don't know where I was going with that. He controls all the power in the scenario. All of it. Packers really need to sit down and figure out what to do. How do they control the situation? How do they get a grasp? How do they control what the media thinks? Because it's getting out of hand. It is getting out of hand. Twitter's going off. You got the media reports going off. Everyone is really in question. He's not here in minicamp. Does he really want to be here at all? Or is this just another game that he's playing and he'll be here when training camp arrives? So it's all really questionable with that all. But you know, with that being said, that means Jordan Love or Blake Bortles has to step up. And I did not hear Jordan Love did well today. The report was he was inaccurate. He looked awful. He made pass completions, but he wasn't making everything. And he needs to make those passes if he wants to fill the role of Aaron Rodgers or Packers fans should start shaking in their boots. There was even one report I saw where I was watching a a two-minute drill, which is where they have two minutes to go ahead and score a touchdown. It's all on air. There's no hitting or anything. He couldn't get past half field on air. That's scary. Blake Bortles, however, did not have as bad of a day, and it was reported that he had finished the two-minute drill and he had finished the day looking good. That is your two-minute drill for the day. I hope that answers all of your questions on the Aaron Rodgers situation. Well, that's one trade rumor. And the next is Julio Jones, who was traded to the Tennessee Titans on Sunday. In case you somehow missed the trade, Julio Jones and a 2023 sixth rounder were given to the Titans, and the Falcons received a 2022 second rounder and a 2023 fifth rounder in exchange. And look, to me, I'm going to say it's a win for both sides. I I was trying to figure out who had won, but ultimately in the end, I really think it was a... Originally, you kind of sit there and you're like, maybe is Julio Jones not the... Is he only worth a second and a fifth? He looked differently at the DeAndre Hopkins because they gave up a second, a fifth, and David Johnson. But, hey, look, Julio Jones was at the end of his contract. He's 32. He has done everything, and he went on live TV even though he really didn't know. You know, Shannon Sharp really kind of set him up. But he said, I'm out of there. So there wasn't much the Falcons could do after that. And so at the end of the day, Falcons got draft compensation for the receiver, their Hall of Fame receiver, who remembered for his time in Atlanta for sure. They get the cap space to sign their draft picks. And, you know, they get that draft compensation against the future of the organization. Look, I'm all for giving up draft picks for a player because you know what the player can do. You don't know what the draft picks will get you. 
Sometimes the draft picks could be bust. I mean, just look at the Julio Jones of the Browns trade itself. The Browns got one good guy, Phil Taylor, and he was only good for X amount of years, very short amount of time. He was their guy for very little at defensive tackle. The rest were bust, and the Falcons got Julio Jones. So at the end of the day, you know, the Falcons could really capitalize and use this to get the future of the organization. A second isn't bad. A second isn't bad because there's potential that they'll have a top fi- another top 50 pick, which will get them two top 50 picks in the 2022, a first and a, their second, and the possibility that they could have another depending on the, how the Titans do. So overall, the Falcons got what they wanted. They alleviate the situation. They move on with Matt Ryan, Kyle Pitts, Kelvin Ridley. My quick tidbit on Kelvin Ridley, do not go drafting him in the first round of your fantasy. If you're looking for a fantasy wide receiver, Kelvin Ridley's not probably going to be it. You have to imagine that there's going to be something worked up. Their offense may be slow, their defense. The Falcons losing Julio Jones, to me, Puts the Panthers in second place in their division. I don't see the the Falcons really getting anywhere besides third and fourth. Kelvin really will have a great year. Trust me on that. But let someone else take him in the first. First things first is he's probably going to be inconsistent. You never know with injuries. And if you know you could take his explosive game and you could take his big weeks. But don't take him early on. If someone else wants to waste a first rounder, get a guy who's going to be consistently putting up big numbers. You know, first and second round, I, I don't see Kelvin really being my guy. I kind of assume he's a third or fourth rounder. He's a wide receiver, too, on my team. I want a wide receiver one who's going to consistently put up big time numbers. And yeah, Kelvin Ridley without Julio Jones is really, really good and really, really impactful. But overall, I just don't see him being this consistent powerhouse wide receiver at least this year, possibly next year. But it's going to be interesting. The The situation in Atlanta is really interesting. They're looking for their future, but they're still kind of sticking with the now. Offensively, they're not going to be the worst offense. Defensively, they could be down there. Uh, but Atlanta overall is not a contender, in my opinion, without Julio Jones. And, yeah, Kelvin Ridley. You, you know, you're going to really do your research with how you feel about him. Obviously, I'm the unpopular opinion with him and fantasy. But overall, I just don't think Kelvin Ridley is going to be your best bet at a wide receiver. In fact, take a running back in round one and then take a wide receiver in round two. But, you know, you can watch as someone in your league takes Kelvin Ridley, but you tell me where they end up in the standings at the end of the year. So let's talk about the Titans to end the show here today. So now the Titans have a consistent receiver with good size, great running at the route tree, really decisive, good hands, top receiver in the league. Right, and they're pairing him with a young AJ Brown who also has size, who also is a decent route runner, who is young. I still think they're an 11 12 win team. Another unpopular opinion. Look, they have Tannehill, great quarterback to lead them. I don't think there's another quarterback in the NFL that fits more perfectly with Tannehill in that position. They have Derrick Henry, who's the best running back in the NFL. But, you know, they have issues. Let's talk about their offensive line. 
Their offensive line didn't make strives to improvement. They kind of, in my opinion, went down, right? Run-wise, good. They have a good running game. When you have Derrick Henry, you have a good, decent offensive line, you're going to be considered really good in the run game, even if you have decent run blockers because these run blockers can make mistakes when you have Derrick Henry, who can break tackles, who has big size, who can run it down someone's throat, you don't need the best running guys in the league. They're going to be considered the, the top running guys, top five running offensive line anyways, just because Derrick Henry's got size. So mistake-wise, the running game isn't the problem. They'll be fine in the run game. They'll be consistent with the run game. They'll go into the season like they have with Derrick Henry the past two seasons. They'll be fine. However, their passing game is where I'm scared because last year they struggled in the pass pro, and again, they didn't make improvements in the pass pro. I mean, first things first is they lost Isaiah Wilson, their first-round tackle last year. Now they have a guard who might be able to step up and, or a guard-slash-tackle who may be able to step up and win tackle over Kendall Lamb, who is not that great at pass blocking. And overall, Taylor Lewan at left tackle is really the only positive I see. Their center is good. I think their center is really good, actually. I take that back. Lewan in their center, I forget what his name is. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on his name. But he's pretty good. He's been a top five center in the league. So those two are positives. But every, every other position is kind of scary when you look at the pass game there. And to me, I don't think the Titans have the best wide receiver duo. I almost said Falcons, if you could hear that. But the, I don't think the Titans have the best wide receiver duo. Look, Julio is one of the best receivers in the league when healthy. But I think A.J. Brown's been inconsistent. I'm not a big fan of him. I think he's had two seasons. He's young. He has to learn. He could be one of the best wide receivers in the league, and he has a lot of potential to do so. I, I don't see anything stopping him besides himself, but he's been inconsistent in both of his seasons. First off, in his first season, he his target-wise, he barely got over five-plus targets in a game. And let's say we move on from his rookie year and we look at how he really took over and stepped up last year. Okay, he relies on the deep ball. If he doesn't have a deep ball or he doesn't or he doesn't get a catch that allows him to break one off, right? Deep ball or breaking one off with big yards, you know. If you tackle the guy and you cover the deep ball against him, he's not going to be a big factor. He only had 7 out of his 16 games last year where he got 65 plus yards. Right, under 50% of his games, he had 65 plus yards. It's not bad, really isn't, but it's inconsistent. Every other game besides one four game stretch where he had 60, 70, 80, 100, and something. I think those are the numbers, not in any particular order. But besides that four stretch game, he was really inconsistent. It was almost like every other. I seriously do not consider him to be. You know, you could pair him up with Julio Jones, and yeah, it's a great duo. But look, <laughs> you had to have more than seven games with 65-plus yards. He had seven games with five or more receptions. You got to have at least 50% to be considered the best, you know, 
I, I just overall, I don't see a lot of hype. I saw a lot of Twitter people saying he's going to be wide receiver one, and yeah, he could have some big, he could have some big improvements this year. But with Julio, I actually think it's probably going to go similar, right? Julio is way better than Corey Davis. Julio will probably get more attention overall in that offensive system. It wouldn't make sense to me that AJ Brown takes this massive leap and becomes better than Julio. I, I actually, I think AJ Brown will get less attention, but he'll get well. He'll get less attention from defenses, but also less attention from his offense, resulting in similar stat line to last season. He had. A really good amount of yards. I think he had 2,000, actually, receiving yards in his first two seasons, which is good. Don't get me wrong in that in that aspect, but overall, he, he's con- inconsistent. He's really inconsistent, and I don't like that. I don't like that someone could say they're the best wide receiver duo, but really not back up the fact that A.J. Brown is inconsistent. I can name a couple better wide receiver duos, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham. I like Mike Evans and Godwin in Tampa Bay. I I really like uh, Amari Cooper and Gallup in Dallas. I mean, those are just a couple that I would immediately right away, right of the fingertips, can name that I like better. And... Overall, A.J. Brown's stats are nice. If you want to talk overall stats, okay, let's talk basic. Yeah, A.J. Brown's probably the best wide receiver, one of the, not the best, one of the better wide receivers in the NFL if you just want to talk basic stats. But I want to break it down. I want to tell you, look at, you know, go and look at his game logs from 2019-2020. You'll see there were games where he had 20 yards, and the next game he had 100. And then he'd go back to 40, and then he'd have 80-something. Like, you can't do that and really consider, you know, if you're one half of the best re- receiving duo in the NFL, you're going to have to do a lot more than that. And then let's just end this defensively. Actually, I do have one more point I wanted to bring up, too, is I don't think he's a big contribution to winning, right? This past season, he had a big game in the playoffs. They lost. And last season... Actually, it'd be two seasons ago. Last season, they, they lost against Baltimore. He had a big game. When they went on the playoff run two years ago, he had a big game against the Chiefs. It was a loss. The other two games, he had two total receptions for 13 yards, 1-9 and 1-4 in those two wins. He's not a big factor in winning, especially in the playoffs. right? And then let's just move on to defense. Poor defensive front. You're going to have to step up if you really want to be considered a 14-win team, 13-win team. They have a decent linebacker core, decent secondary. They're holes on defense, and it's going to hurt them because offensively, like I just said, they're not the best offense in the NFL. No way. They're just talk right now. It's all talk. It's all media talking, right? It's the same with... A lot of teams, they get a big guy and then it's all talk and then the season comes and they're not up to media expectations. Why? Because right now there's nothing else to talk about NFL-wise than Julio Jones, A.J. Brown teaming up through trade. So overall, 11-12 win team, still think the Colts have a good chance. And I think the Colts actually want to smack them in the mouth more than ever. But overall, the, the Tennessee Titans... 
Atlanta trade, trade Julio. Julio is out of Atlanta. He's already in Nashville, and they're moving on. Both sides are moving on, so I won't even get into the Shannon Sharp rumors and all, you know, all of that stuff with the Julio Jones being on live TV without knowing it. He could sue Shannon Sharp, but I don't think he wants to. I think he's ready to move on. He's happy. It helped. I think it helped escalate it. The Falcons might not be, but all in all, you know, it's in it's a great trade for both teams. Both teams sought out for a value. Titans get Julio. And Atlanta get some draft picks. Look, I thank you for listening to the Jukum Podcast. Go ahead, as always, follow the social media pages for updates, clips, etc. I am active on Twitter, giving my takes to post and whatnot. Um, I, on TikTok, post clips. If you miss episodes, you go ahead. Or if you don't listen to the full episode, go ahead and get some recap on TikTok, Instagram, check in when I'm uploading, etc. Go ahead, follow all those at juke underscore m underscore podcast. Go ahead and follow my new and go check out my new podcast all about the Cleveland Browns. I'm from Cleveland, born and raised, orange and brown. So go ahead and check those out. And really, I really like talking about the Browns, and I really enjoy doing both podcasts. But go ahead and check out that podcast if you're interested. It is the Bad News Browns. Not because they're bad news this year, but because they've always been bad news in the past. And this year, it seems like they're going to be bringing the bad news to a team near you. Look, I thank you for listening, and I hope you all enjoyed the episode. And look, it's getting exciting. We are getting closer and closer to football every day. We'll start ramping up the college football talk soon, fantasy talk soon. It's getting excited, so keep checking out the Juca Podcast. Chubb. Chubb running on the left side. Cuts the corner. 